Welcome in to the All Things Go podcast, episode seven. I'm your host, Derek Yoder, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Murphy of Stuart Haas Racing. And Brian, before we welcome on our guests this evening, we have to talk about our Green Bay Packers and their win, not only on Sunday in Miami, but more importantly, you're going to Green Bay to watch the Packers play on Sunday at home in Lambeau versus the Vikings. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Pretty exciting times. I mean, they're, they're starting to show up to the games. Aaron's got his thumb back, apparently, which, uh, man, what a, what a show he put on this this past weekend. Uh, but yeah, we got 10 of us going to go in a 15 passenger van. We're going to drive up to Green Bay. Um, we're going to stop in Indy first and stop at St. Elmo so we can get a shrimp cocktail and uh, a good steak. And then we're going to head up on Saturday uh, for, for New Year's Eve and, uh, then watch the game. It's supposed to be actually a very, very warm 35 degrees. So, uh, pretty excited about that. Uh, get to see all my family, my aunts and uncles, uh, that I wasn't able to see during, uh, the Christmas break. So, um, a lot of fun coming up here next weekend. I was just about to ask you how warm or cold it was going to be. I figured it was probably going to be a miserable experience, but 35 degrees. It was snowing last week in Miami when they went to about just prior to game time. So 35 degrees for you in, in Lambeau is nothing. So I hope you have a good time. Yeah, I've, I've been in a lot colder than that. That'll be that'll be a T-shirt weather, you know, so. Um, yeah. But yeah, can't wait to go. Can't wait to a bunch of first timers we're bringing. And that's that's one of the best things, you know, just like in racing, being able to share those experiences and um, and see Lambeau Field and, and allow them to, uh, you know, see one of the, the best uh, venues in, in all of sports in the United States. Yeah, well, uh, no better way to kind of end the year there doing that. So uh, I want to welcome in our special guest tonight, and uh, it is Steve Post, a.k.a. Postman. Uh, If you listen to any type of MRN content, he's the MRN uh, pit reporter. He does the crew call with Todd Gordon, uh, co-host the Wing Nation with uh, Ashley Stremme and Aaron Evernham. But more importantly, Postman, you just tweeted not too long ago about attending over 160 races this year so what better way to end the year on this show than have you on a man that has seen pretty much everything this year so how are you i am i am fantastic i'm glad uh i'm glad 160 got done uh there's actually an enduro on saturday but i i'm 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 done um this is this has been it's been a fascinating year because ever since i was a little kid all i ever wanted to do was go to racetrack you know, and I've done, I think the highest I had previously was 142. Uh, I was up in Syracuse or up in upstate New York writing for a Syracuse, New York racing paper. And I had one year where I was, I think, low 140s. And then there's other years I haven't kept track of that. I, I'm generally in triple digits, really, with just the work that I do. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close to triple digits. But this year, this thing kind of took out a life of its own. And I'm just like, let me see how I can do it. Let me see how much I can go to. And uh, it was great. It was fantastic. 160 races. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, but I'm telling you, like the weekend before Thanksgiving, I'm down at Florence. It ran late. That was the race that Dale Jr. That was the, the South Carolina 400. It's late. I'm driving back from Florence. I was at I was at Rockfish the night before for, for micro sprints. And so I got a hotel over that way. But I'm driving back because... On Sunday, I wanted to get up early and go to the play show. Mama warned you about Cherokee for the Blue Gray 100, which is one of my favorite races. And as I'm driving back from Florence, I'm just like, okay, 
I, I think we can get to 160, uh, but I don't know that I'm going to aim for that again. This is kind of crazy at this point. Um, quality of life, quality of life suffered at times, but I did get to see a lot of really neat things. And what a what a blast! What a what a what a fun fun year! That's for sure. And saw a lot of fun stuff. So, with the 160 races that you saw, what's the one race that sticks out to you the most uh, of this year that you that comes to mind right away? Yeah, I actually started on my site today. I, I have a podium of races, so um, and I, and and I started with one today, but I'll but I the, I'll share the other two as well. Um, the the podium in in reverse order. Um, I went to the season finale at Wake County. I think it was September 17th. It was a Friday night race at Wake County, and Wake County is just this spectacular little bull ring over in Raleigh. Runs NASCAR. Uh, advanced auto parts, all American series races. And they had a late model stock championship. And there's a, there's a guy that's been racing forever. His name is Clay Jones from Goldsboro. And he just, he just a good old boy racer. And he found himself in a spot where if he finished third, not only would he lock up the track championship, but he would win the North Carolina state championship. So found himself in third spot early in the going. And you're sitting there saying, well, just ride Clay, just ride. Well, he bless his heart. He couldn't help himself. Um, he started to close on the second place guy. And I, and I talked to Clay up at Martinsville afterward. And he just said, I am not a rider. I'm not a point racer. And so he got into second at the midway point of the race. And then with 10 to go, you're kind of like, okay, he's 10, 12 car lengths back. And he gassed it up. And with a lap and a half to go, got to the inside of the leader. They were side by side for the la final lap. And he come off the fourth turn and won the race. The thing that made that so fascinating, and it's really the case of the other two as well as Wake County, it was a, a weekly show. Yeah, it was their season championship, but the place was wall-to-wall -wall people. I walked up into the stands, and I, and I literally had to squeeze down in between people. And this is a Friday night weekly show, which is great to see. I love standing room only crowds, and they have a pretty good grandstand there as well. So, And the crowd was so engaged. Well, I'm telling you, when he took the lead, the last lap and a half, when they were side by side, and he took the lead, it was bonkers. I mean, it was crazy that he gave everyone a burnout for the ages, an inverse lap burnout. And it was just one of those moments. And, and I think really when I look at my three races, it's those moments that, that you have. And, and a lot of it is a big, robust crowd having fun. It's just contagious. I love to sit in the stands. I prefer to sit in the stands. And so um, that was really, really cool. That was probably my third one. My second one was the Cars Tour race up at North Wilkesboro when Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s there riding around in ninth. And then he gets to eighth and then he gets seventh and sixth in one shot. And everyone's like, but oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's going to happen here? And then with about four or five laps to go, we have a caution and he's up to second. And again, great, great to have North Wilkesboro back. What a story that was. What an event. But again, a huge crowd losing their minds. As Junior raced up there, he never did. He, we could still be racing. He wasn't going to catch Carson Quapple that night. Carson was was on stun. But just the whole atmosphere, you literally sat there after the race, and it's like, I don't want to leave. I just I just want to sit here. I can't believe what I witnessed. I, a, I'm sitting at North Wilkesboro, but I just can't believe Dale Earnhardt Jr. And the crowd, it was, it was and, and, and Dale and Carson did did victory laps and everything. And it was just absolutely insane. So that was probably number two. And then number one uh, was the high bank nationals world of outlaw race up in Houston, South Dakota. Um, and, and again, to set this up, um, 
there's so much with me because I sit in the grandstands so much with me as the crowd. And you, you pulled into Houston that day and it was 72 degrees, no threat of rain, beautiful, beautiful weather. Um, and you come down into Houston, you come down a hill and it's just people everywhere at one o'clock in the afternoon. So the atmosphere was good. Somewhere in the afternoon, they announced that they're going to pay $250,000 to win next year in the race. So the place is hopping. And sprint car fans, they love drinking their beer. They love partying. They love carrying on. The place is rocking with about the, this race is good. Houston's one of the greatest little bull ring tracks on the planet. It's just spectacular dirt track. And as the race goes on, um, James McFadden, I kind of described James as like, he, he, the, yes, some people, it's, he's their favorite. He's everybody's second favorite, though. You know, if my guy can't win, I'd be happy if McFadden wins. And he was struggling to get that first win at the time. And uh, he took the lead with about three laps to go. And on the last lap, Sheldon Hodenshield put it on the fence in one and two and went from third to first. Um, and again, the place just went bonkers. I mean, it was nuts. Of course, Sheldon is Jack's son. And so he's legendary. He's iconic. And it was a jackish move, if you would. And the place just went wild. And again, really with, really with, especially the last two with North Wilkesboro and Houston, you just sat there afterward and it's just like, I'm, I don't want to leave. Maybe I want to go to the pits. That's about the only place I want to go. Um, just such great moments. So uh, I, I know that was a long-winded answer there, but those uh, those, those would be the three uh, that, that, that stand out in my mind. No, I think it was a perfect answer because it reminds me, I'm a golfer, so it reminds me of like, I can tell you every shot I hit. I feel like I could just bring up a date and be like, June 12th, 2022, where were you? What race kind of a thing? But those races, uh, and, and some of them I'm going to research, but I know Brian, Brian was up at North Wilkesboro uh, for that same race, and he speaks about it the same way you did with that excitement of like, don't want to leave. And when we had Barry Braun on, Barry was saying the same thing, was like, it was one of the most amazing experiences. So, I mean, Brian, you can talk about, you know, how amazing that was uh, for both of you guys in you know, experiencing that. Yeah, I mean, for me, again, uh, you know, I, I didn't go to that many races this year, so that was an easy number one for me. Uh, just, again, just such an out-of-body experience with with everybody, the feeling, the electricity. Uh, I, I can't really remember a moment in my life sitting in any sports venue that that created that same, that same feeling that just hits so deep that you've never really felt before. Um, and, again, just to see Dale Jr. and everybody get choked up uh, – um, you know, the locals to see that their, their racetrack back, their town, um, their town back, all, all these great things that are going to happen, not only this year, but now, now in the future, it's, it's just what an incredible story from start to finish. I, I think the other thing that, that I kind of, one of the, one of the divisions, I, I really love the cars tour. I love late model stock racing here in the Carolinas. And, and I warned people, I probably put something out on Twitter. You're going to go to this race tonight to watch Dale Earnhardt Jr. You may just really like the racing. Um, because, and, and, and we've seen, and, and I think a lot of it stems from North Wilkesboro and obviously Dale Earnhardt Jr. racing down at Florence, but, but the, the, the cars tour has been so solid prior to Dale Earnhardt Jr. racing with them. Um, the, the, the big late model stock race at, at North Wilkesboro, the, the, the national championship battle uh, between Lane Riggs and Peyton Seller this year, I mean, uh, South Boston has been on, South Boston racing has been phenomenal. Langley has been good. We see Hickory and Florence kind of 
getting their footing now and putting on some great racing. And so that late model stock world really, really took off. And, and but North Wilkesboro, you know, and Brian, and I agree the, the old racetrack and, and the community and, and obviously what the future holds. But I also look at it from that late model stock division. It put a bunch of drivers on the map that nobody ever knew. And, and you know, you, 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 you think about guys, you know, like Brendan Queen, like Butterbean, um, you know, from, uh, you know, he, he, he boasts, you know, he boasts that uh, he, he won 17 races this year between all of his races. But if you ask him the best time, was having a beer with Dale Earnhardt Jr. at North Wilkesboro, you know. And uh, I think that was the thing. I think that was the other thing about it was the, the, the Dale Jr., um, he – I, you know, I go to a lot of races where a lot of NASCAR people will go race. And, and and there are various degrees of engagement, you know. And and I mean, and, and this, there's nothing critical here. If the guy wants to show up and not talk to anybody and climb down between the rails of a race car and race, that's cool. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. went the opposite. He engaged with everybody. And he just, he, he made it a special moment. One of my favorites was, um, and, and Brian, you may or may not know the guy, a guy named Mike Looney. And he is an old school, gruff, rough around the edges, hardcore, in your face, late model stock racer. And he's as good a guy on the planet. They don't come any better than Mike Looney. And Mike parks his car at North Wilkesboro. And guess who parks right next to him? Is Dale Earnhardt Jr. And so they get done practicing the night, the, the night before, and Jr. rolls out the cooler and Mike Looney's never been scared of a beer and junior motions to come on over and Mike and Dale jr. Are standing there at the back of the, the car, on the back of junior's car, having a beer talking and out in the front of Dale jr's car, there's security out there. And, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're talking about um, their, you know, uh, just security, keeping an eye on things, making sure that, you know, nothing happens with Dale Earnhardt Jr. there. Mike shared with me the story. He nudges Jr. and he says, see those two security guys out there? And Jr. says, yeah. And Mike says, I'm usually on the other side of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just that the, the, the way Dale Earnhardt Jr. embraced that, that event, that tour, that series, those racers, that just, you know, just made it really, really neat. That that North Wilkesboro one, that was that was phenomenal. Just a, what a what a great great event for sure. So a great a great setup to really what I kind of want to talk about here was um, you know the state of short track racing, and you kind of brought it up. Uh, I I started in the late mile stock ranks in two thousand five two thousand six, working with Tompa Stone at Performance Center in Statesville, um, and you know. Back then, we would build 20, 30 new chassis a year. We put on 120 uh, clips um, in back-to-back years. And, you know, I left there in 2011. And, and when I left there, late-mile stock racing was was kind of in bad shape. Uh, Roger Johnson had bought uh, Performance Center. Um, you know, and, and a, lot of, a lot of the business kind of went away for a while, especially in the late-mile stock scene. Um, you know, I, I called him the other day, just check in on him. And, and he said, this is one of his best years since 2010. Um, and just for reference, they said they put on about 30 to 35 clips and built about 20 new chassis. So, you know, what, where are we at in short track racing right now? I know it's kind of not where it was, um, but we are, we are definitely in an incline here. It is getting much more popular again, back to where it was, um, late mile stocks, supers i mean all across the country we're seeing kind of this rebirth of of short track racing uh you know and for somebody that you saw racing all across this country at short track level uh you know what are your thoughts about about where we're at it's fascinating brian because it depends on where you're at um you know and i think like when you look at the world of outlaw sprint cars and sprint cars as a whole 
2020, the year of COVID, the year of pay-per-view, the year of Kyle Larson, literally exploded sprint car racing. And we continue to see that. Ironically, last year, um, and, and you know, there was there was a little bit of the Kyle Larson factor, but there was the XR series. And you guys had Barry on, and I love chatting with Barry Braun. He's just really, really cool. But the, uh, the Flow Racing Night in America, uh, the World of Outlaws, the Lucas Oil Tour, it looked like dirt late model racing kind of caught that same buzz in the fire. They had a million dollar to win race up at, uh, up at up in Eldora, and it seemed like that was the case. So when you look at some of the dirt track stuff, particularly the national tours, the regional tours, the all-stars, uh, a lot of the weekly racing is pretty, pretty good. It's pretty, pretty healthy. Um, on the asphalt side, it's it 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 varies. It depends on where you're at. Um, there's some places where it's sketchy. There's some places where it's where it's struggling, where it's hand to mouth. Um, and there's a lot of those places here in our vicinity in the Carolinas. Uh, you know, you you I, I spent a, spent a Wednesday night out of Caraway, and it's scary. Uh, just just you know how few people were there on a Wednesday night. It was Fourth of July week going into it. And uh, and it was a smart modified tour race. Um, just how few there were. So, but then, but then, you know, Brian, the late model stock world is certainly catching a vibe. It's certainly catching. And I, I think you know when you look at that tour or that division, I think you have some really neat things because drivers have multiple ways to skin the cat. You can go run the cars tour. Uh, you can do like Peyton Sellers, got to stick to your home track and try to run for a NASCAR national tour. Um, we've seen the last couple of years, we've seen a couple of guys change course. Josh Berry, a couple of years ago, when he won the national championship, he changed course midstream. Lane Riggs this year changed course midstream. And so I think having those options and, and, and having a lot of a lot of options have uh, have helped late model stock racing. So it, it's interesting because where it's good, I think it's really, I think it's growing and really, really good. Where it's bad, it's still struggling. And one of the things that, man, I'll tell you, one of the things that I just find, uh, I and I and I think there's a correlation to it. Um, I just find that week in and week out, places that are racing efficient shows, two, two and a half, three hour shows get people on the road by 10, 10, 30, those places tend to be the ones that are doing a little bit better than the, than the eight divisions, three cars, four cars, five cars per division, pushing up against a midnight curfew. And I think that, uh, I think that the, 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 the tracks that are, that are running, uh, you know, Bowman Gray Stadium is a classic example here. You can show up at Bowman Gray Stadium. They have an eight o'clock start on Saturday night. And you're usually on the road out of there by 1030. Yeah, no. And I mean, those efficient shows, I think, uh, are, are helping a lot of these tracks. So I, I know there's, there's there's not a one size fits all answers where it's good. It's really, really good and very, very strong and very robust. Um, but there are still some struggles. There are some places. There's tracks closing all the time, uh, which is which is concerning. That, that tracks are closing. So um, we're, we're, we're certainly a short track industry, not out of the woods, um, but I think there, I think there's a blueprint there. I think there's a blueprint there by running efficient shows uh, like the late model stocks, having some options for the teams to go find a place and a way to race. I think, um, and, and, and I think another thing that I've really, I think is the late model stock world is I think when you look at guys like Landon Huffman, uh, track champion out at Hickory, I think the engagement with the fans is also helping that as well. You know, I mean, and, and, and Landon's engagement with the fans piqued the interest of Dale Earnhardt Jr., who was able to lure the High Rock Vodka sponsorship over on Landon's car. And and, and Landon is preaching the gospel to a lot of fans. And, you know, I, I don't know the answer to this, don't know if I don't know the answer to this, 
I'll bet you there's a bunch of people that think his videos are a lot of fun that maybe have never been to Hickory that maybe have gone this year or will go this next year. And so I think there's a lot involved with it. There's, I, and I think that's part of the, uh, you know, Derek, Brian, I think that's part of the excitement is that there's, there's so much out there, so many ways to, to, to engage with people. And I think, I, I think it's prime. I think it's right for success. I think you just got to find that formula and what works in your specific area or region or track. So you brought up another topic that nobody really likes to talk about. Obviously, the the track's closing down. It's It's been a pretty tough 10 years for probably short trackers across the country. Um, and then obviously recent news that, um, you know, Greenville Pickens may be the next one to fall. Is there, are we at a place in short track racing where maybe, you know, aside from the extremely historic ones, I mean, Greenville Pickens, that's, that's one that has, that's going to hurt bad. Um, for the, the history, uh, a lot of lot of drivers have that that have made it, you know, to Cup racing. A lot of the stars started there, won there, raced there. Um, so th- that's really not what I'm talking about here. But you know, do we have too many tracks right now for the amount of short trackers that are out there? Is there is are we at a point where maybe um, maybe less tracks? As much as you hate to see it, you'll actually get better uh, turnouts or better races or um you know do we need less tracks right now for the amount of short trackers we have racing across this country i i wonder about that the challenge is picking which tracks are not going to be around that's the problem with it but i do wonder about it i'll i'll use i'll use as a case study in in uh and and i I do want to mention greenville pickens we we lost some other historic tracks this year as well um i grew up in in uh northeastern pennsylvania just south of binghamton new york Okay, so back in the 70s and 80s, Binghamton, New York was huge IBM, huge Endicott Johnson, huge um, Singer Link. There was a huge military base out in Owego. And and, and and, and when you have IBMs and Endicott Johnsons, you have a myriad of other small businesses that supply to these companies, okay? And Binghamton, New York, at the time, had two racetracks, Penkin Speedway on Friday night, my home track, my Friday night home track, five-mile point Speedway on Saturday night, okay? So you fast forward 25 years, IBM is gone, Endicott Johnson is gone, Singer Link is gone, the military base is gone. Binghamton, New York is a depressed town. It is, it is I, I love being from that area. But I always kind of like, oh, man, I wish we'd figure out how to how to get some more people and some more industry and some more things going on here. Those two racetracks are now four, maybe five, because Afton started racing. Thunder Mountain got mad at another track. They started racing. So you take this, you, you, you take this piece of pie that is a huge piece of pie in the 70s and 80s, and you divide it by two racetracks. And a lot of people are going to both. And Penn Can or Five Mile Point are hugely successful racetracks. Well, the problem of it is, is you 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 lose all that industry. Uh, the, I'll tell you another another issue that the sport has is the age of our fan base. The age of our fan base. We're we're you know we we, we need to get the we need to get the next generation going and, and jumping on. You take all of that, and sadly, one of the races I went to was my final ever race. Uh, well, now someone just said yesterday that maybe it didn't sell, but Five Mile Point Speedway, the original track up there, 1950, Five Mile Point Speedway was the original track in that area, uh, or the, the the longstanding one. There were other tracks around there. That was the one that survived the longest, but Five Mile Point Speedway 
sold on uh, for for non-racing purposes so you 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 have it's a tough business in certain places like that and you have land values what they are you know and and five mile point speedway the beauty of five mile point speedway was was the intersection of highway 17 and 81 well the beauty of the land value of five mile point speedway is it's at the intersection of highway 17 and interstate 81 and so consequently the land values and the return the the, the 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 measly amount of money that, that Andrew Harpel was making there at the racetrack, if he was making money at all, forced him into a decision to sell. So I think there's a lot involved with that. And I think there's a lot of factors involved with it. But when we look when we look at some other tracks, OK, um, um, Little Rock, um, I-55 or not I-55, Little Rock is I-35 Speedway in Little Rock. Um, that is just an industrial area and Copart, the the. Uh, the salvage yard place, the same place that bought Concord Speedway, not too far from where I'm sitting, Copart came in and made the lady an offer that she couldn't turn down. You know, and it's like we're we're gonna we're gonna write you a check. We're gonna scratch you a check for this, and you don't ever have to worry about internet keyboard warriors on Monday morning complaining because the cheeseburgers were not right. You know, I mean, so I think there's a lot going on with it. To to get back to your uh, to 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 get back to your point, I, I do think a paring down may not be a bad thing overall. Uh, but nobody wants it to be my track. Um, if you, if you would have, uh, you know, like uh, n- uh, nobody, uh, I, I don't, I don't want five mile point speedway to close, but the reality of it is it was, it was kind of the weakest link with the highest property value and that kind of put it in the spot. So I, I think there is concern about that. Um, what, what's interesting though, and it's something I do, I have a blog called Postman 68 and I, I started to do a little bit of this back last spring and just, 160 freaking races kind of kind of took all the energy and steam out of me but there have been some tracks that have opened over the last few years um obviously north wilkesboro is one that we talk about but goodyear all-american speedway out in the um out in the eastern part and an absolute beautiful racetrack beautiful racetrack yeah yeah you know, the, a track in Palatka, Florida. There's a track in Benton, Missouri that opened. So we're we're opening a few, but the, the the numbers are going down. And to your to your to your point, Brian, I, I'm I don't want it to be my track, but we we might be in a spot where it's just the natural market taking over. Markets expand, markets shrink where the demand is, and uh, I think it, it might be natural. And then and then racetracks are a big chunk of land of real estate and as we've seen real estate values going up that's part of the equation as well so postman you said something that caught my ear and that was about the next generation of fans so we're in this interesting time and we'll stick with nascar if you will i I actually think from a short track perspective i think what nascar did in uh eliminating their cup series stars if you will to go down into the xfinity series it has allowed more of a generation of talent young youth movement that I probably wouldn't have gotten to hear a whole lot about, but now that we can, we can see this progression. So from your perspective, what does the next generation of fans look like and how do we captivate that 18 to 49 uh, audience? We asked Parker Kligerman this last week. So I'm going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard you guys did a great job. I love, I could listen to Parker Kligerman talk all day long. He just is such a fascinating, fascinating guy. And I really enjoyed listening to you guys' podcast. You guys did a great job with him. And I, he just, he fascinates me. It's just every answer he gives is like, huh, I didn't think about that. And, and, you know, and then yields maybe two more questions as well. To your original point, I think 
it was, I, I'm going to share a story. Um, we had an, we had an MRN affiliate down in uh, Talladega, Thunder Country, Thunder Country. And uh, there was an old guy, Grady Sapp was the morning show host. And Grady was a big old burly guy. And they had a studio right there at the racetrack. It was between the Xfinity garage, right next to the media center, between the Xfinity and the cup garage. They had a regular studio there. And so um, I walk in, uh, they want to make over and do a live hit. And I've talked to Grady on the phone. I've been in studio with him. He's always been a good dude. He's been, he'd been cool. And uh, so we, we did a segment talking about whatever was going on. And he said, when we come back, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with NASCAR. And I'm just like, okay, here we go. I'm going to have to sit here and somehow dance with this old guy about what's wrong with NASCAR. Okay. And, and I stereotyped Grady 100% wrong stereotyped him that this is the old NASCAR fan sitting in Kannapolis. I haven't watched since Earnhardt died. You know, that that's who we're dealing with here. So we come back and Grady said, okay, I said something about it. He says, you know what the problem with NASCAR is? It's us old NASCAR fans. We don't want to change. We want to piss and moan. We don't want to take our kids to the races. We don't want to take our grandkids to the races. We want it just like it was back in the day. He said, well, do we go to movie theaters where the floors are sticky anymore? No, we go to nice palatial theaters. He said, do we listen to cassette tapes anymore? No, we listen to digital sound, and it's much, much better. He said, NASCAR racing motorsports is much, much better now, but us old guys have got to just constantly sit around and wring our hands and complain about it. And I was just sitting there going, whoa. You know, I mean, he, he obviously he obviously hit, hit me totally about 180 degrees from what I thought we were going to go, and I'm sitting there going, you know, you're right. Um, we, 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 you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you guys. I grew up going to the race with my dad. That was, that was, that was our thing. Friday and Saturday night, Pencan Speedway, Saturday night, five mile point. I went with my dad and shame on me. My daughters have probably been to six or eight races. So shame on me. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. So that's, that's always when we talk about what's wrong with NASCAR or appealing to new fans. I always love that story because a, a, a big part of the problem is I'm 58. It's, it's my generation and older, a big part of it. Who wants you get on Twitter after a race, get on Twitter after a lackluster race and listen to everybody scream and holler about how terrible it was and say, Hey kids, you want to go to this race? Look, this is what they're saying about it. You know, these are the NASCAR fans. So we we've got an issue there with we all want things the way it was in 1975 or 1982, and we really don't, you know, because it wasn't better then. It's pretty darn good right now. So, so that's that that's kind of an anecdote. So that part of the problem right there is the is the aging the 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 aging fan and the aging fan not helping to replenish the supply. You know, we're all guilty of this, and and we all need to do a better job with it. But I think what I, what I see now, I um. I, and I think, and, and I think there's a couple of lost generations. I think that I, I just, I don't, and I don't know what the numbers are, you know, maybe the 30 to 50 year olds or, or that sort of thing. I just don't know. I think they're, they're lost generations. And, and once you get into something in your teens and in your twenties, you tend to stay with it. And, and I just think that, I, I think that we're at the stage where yes, it'd be great to have this group of people and yes, we don't need to ignore them, but let's really start to focus on that 
younger generation. Let's look at our teenagers. Let's look at our let's look at our young twenties, uh, our twenty somethings, and let's look at that. And 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 what are we doing? They're engaging. And this goes back to what I talked about with Landon Huffman and, and what I've talked about with some of our NASCAR drivers are spectacular on social media. They are engaging on social media. They are engaging in person. You know, Ryan Blaney, Ryan Blaney. I mean, it's just like he's 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 very, very bland when you interview him. He's a spectacular follow on social media. Yeah, you no, know, he really is. And that's what's going to bring is that connection, that same connection. Well, I was a little kid. I like Pete Cordes at five mile point speedway. And I like Bobby Ellison in NASCAR racing. It's that same connection that we need to get where that teenager, where that 20 something is like, I'm a Blaney guy. I'm a Bubba Wallace guy. You know, I, I like Joey Logano. I like this one. I like that one. I like Landon Huffman. You know, I love this one. I like that one. And I, and I think uh, David Gravel in the sprint car world, David Gravel's social media is fantastic. His YouTube channel is so good. I mean, there are just times it's him because the world of outlaw guys, they, they'll, they'll eat truck stop food at three 30 in the morning. And it's him just trying to guess what he's going to have. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's just, it's just hysterical. And I think that's what we need to, I think the engaging the young fan, I think, I think NASCAR has got some good initiatives that they're doing with some of their programs. And, but I think that it's gotta be these drivers, you know, I didn't go to the race to see NASCAR. I didn't go to the race to see Bill France. I went to the race to see Bobby Allison and it's gotta be these drivers engaging. And, and I think, there's a lot of them doing a really, really good job. Chase Briscoe, Chase Briscoe, man, I, I when 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 he when he jumps on Twitter and uh, go, goes in character there, uh, when he goes in character, I, I just I, I just find that I fascinating, and I and I think that I think that's good, and I think that's what's going to help us replenish this with that younger generation, that that middle generation. I, I'm I'm not sure what the answer is there, um, but but boy, and then guys, events, my gosh, um, the Coliseum, holy cow, what a time that was! I mean, there was a USC student section at a NASCAR race. Okay, someone okay. tweeted, and it wasn't it, it wasn't like Apocris or someone like that. I, it might have just been a, a, a it might have been a fan. The name didn't ring a bell, but they tweeted this, and it just it made me laugh out loud. And really did. College co-ed, drunk on mimosas, listening to hip hop music and watching NASCAR, and I was just like, man, that's 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 that, that's freaking awesome. So so I think we I I think we have a lot there. I think. You know, I just I think there's a lot good out there. Um, I think involvement for guys like Pitbull. I just think that there's a there's 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 just a lot good happening out there. And and I'm I'm rather optimistic about it, uh, knowing that there's there's probably 20 years there that we're we 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 may not get back. But let's 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 work on that next group. No, I definitely agree. And I think, like you said, uh, definitely that engagement side from the driver element, have somebody that fans younger can attach themselves to. I think Gregson does a good job. Uh, you know, Gibbs and, and that rivalry, you know, there's just not enough rivalries where, like you said, where there was a Gordon Earnhardt, you know, so the sport needs some of those and those, some of these younger guys are definitely bringing that. So you mentioned the clash and that's coming up at the end uh, or the beginning of February. So you were out there at the clash this year. Were you sipping mimosas and having a good time as well? Or like, what was that like for you? I never in my life um, saw anything like when those cars came out of that tunnel for the first time, you know, I mean, and we've all seen clips of the USC Trojans coming out of that tunnel and the place going bonkers. And we were, it was, it was Saturday. So the crowd was 
was a third, you know, full. And when those cars, and of course, this is the next gen race car. And Brian, you know, you're around these cars. Man, there is a throaty rumble to these cars that we didn't have on the previous cars. So when those cars hit that racetrack, it was like, Lord have mercy, what just happened here? You know, I mean, when they came out, and, and I wish, I wish there was a way with the dynamic of this this year that we could capture that moment when it comes time for the A main race, all the cars all lined up outside and just roll them through the tunnel, one parade lap and go green because those cars coming out on that racetrack was just ridiculous. I mean, it really was. So um, that was awesome. I, I was fortunate with MRN. We had one pit reporter inside, one outside. I was I was the inside guy. I was the, I was the one that had the good seat in the house to watch all of it. And what really struck me in the early going is no matter what happened, two cars bounced off each other like they do 800 times at Martinsville on a Sunday afternoon. Two cars bounced off each other at the Coliseum and the place went wild. Yeah, no, I mean, and and they were just so engaged with it. They were so new to it. Cars bouncing off each other. And and the music, Pitbull, and who was, um, I told brain thing on the other, that, um, Ice, Cube. Ice Cube, yeah, Ice Cube. Ice Cube was spectacular. I mean, he was uh, not on my not on my Spotify, okay. But I am telling you, I'm standing there in the infield and I'm losing my mind as well. Three guys working on the cars during during that time period. During that time period, they get done servicing the race car and they're up and they're rocking and everybody's having a good time. Well, and I don't care what anyone says. When the fans. See the crew guys doing it, and the crew guys have the fans doing it. There becomes energy there. So the energy was spectacular. The event was so well done. Taking NASCAR to a place where NASCAR had never been before is what we did with that one. Introducing NASCAR to a whole bunch of new people, and it was good. It was real good. And I always, but I'll qualify by saying this: we were one caution from it going through the roof. Because you remember how that race unfolded. Joey Logano's out mm -hmm. there leading, Kyle Busch is tracking him down. I am telling you, a caution with five laps to go in that one, and they might have burned the Coliseum down. And I don't know what would have happened. I know Joey, and I know Kyle, and I know they understood what was going on there. And I'll guarantee you there would have been some... So that's the only thing to me, and it's like, and, and, and I'll be shocked if we have two races where there's not a dust-up at the end of the race. And uh, that, that the Coliseum, and I think the Coliseum just set the tone. This is not your dad's NASCAR. This is the next generation. This goes back to our last conversation, guys, at Derek and Brian. This is this is a new NASCAR. This is where we have to go. We we have to do this stuff. We just can't have two Poconos and two Dovers and two Michigans and expect new people to come to this thing. We have got to do it. And even so, I, I just the event was incredible, and I'm. Mm -hmm. I'm jacked up. I can't wait to get out there and see how they how they do it again this year. Well, I'm excited to see from a fan standpoint, like how packed the house is, because if you remember, the Super Bowl was out there the next week. So there was a lot of excitement in that area. So uh, and, and, you know, it as good as I do when you go to an event, especially if you're a first time fan, that is a moment that you're like, I want to go to the next race. My dad took me to my first race in 2001 at Dover. He reluctantly took me he didn't really want to go he knew i was a fan but when there was a 15 car pile up in turn one three laps in he's grabbing my shoulder saying this is incredible and then we're walking outside the racetrack and he's like where are they at next week i'm like they're at pocono so you know it as good as i do when you go to a race in person you get hooked and especially at that age that we're trying to target which i think 
you know, Ben Kennedy and NASCAR and, and all that are having those responsibilities, trying to find those type of venues, taking a football stadium, turn into a NASCAR track. It's, it's unique. It's different. But like you said, it is, it is a new NASCAR now that we're, you know, and one thing that Brian talks about, which I find just so unbelievably fascinating is he said that last year SHR took the 41 car to the clash. That same car went to Daytona auto club, uh, Bristol dirt, all-star and it's like you never would have seen that in previous generations uh so it's fascinating to see what was your takeaway from from the nascar season there was a lot of ups and downs with it but what was the biggest takeaway that you saw this past year with this new car and uh you know in 22 well i i think i think we saw um i i mean I think we saw the new car perform overall well. I think there was obviously concerns when we hit the midway point of the season with with rear impacts, and uh, I think it sounds like that. Uh, in, in, in Brian, you're obviously you do you do such a good job describing a lot of the details, and it sounds like that that's being addressed. And in talking with some drivers, you know, without microphones on, they seem like they all understand what we're doing and where we're going with it. Set that aside, I thought it was fascinating. I thought what really struck me about this year is if you would have told me that NASCAR has a new car and for the first half of the season, one team is going to hit on it virtually every week and every other team is going to hit one, miss one, hit one, miss one, and pick that team, I would have gone through virtually every team before I got to track house racing. And that number one car with Ross Chastain and Phil Surgeon I mean, the first half of the year, it didn't matter where we went to. They were good. We had one time, you know, the Fords and Stuart Haas and Penske were good. Then we go to the next one and the, Toyota, uh, the Toyotas were good. The next one, the Chevys were good. And Ross Chastain. And, and Daniel Suarez to a degree, too. And so I think that really opened up a lot of neat opportunities for, for, for teams. Uh, and, and, and I think, like, okay, let, let's talk about this new generation, this new generation owner that we have. Uh, Justin Marks, Trackhouse Racing. This could not have happened at a better time for a creative, young, uh, energetic team owner to to not only get ownership of the team, but to have their cars come right out of the box and win some races and be fast and 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 to be able to capture that excitement to capture. I will never in my I, one thing I I did not have on my bingo card. Okay, we went to Nashville. We got there the day before the track opened. This would have been the, the LA 400. We got there the day before. And I love Lower Broadway, the, the, the music district, the scene there in Nashville. And so we're parked up by the by the Bridgestone Arena, and we come down around the corner. The place, there's people everywhere. I mean, there is, there you can't move. There's police, there's crowds, and we're kind of like, what's going on? We're looking around, we're looking around, and Alex Hayden, one of my coworkers, says there's a car, there's a race car in the middle of it. And as we get closer, we see it's the Tootsie's Orchid Lounge Daniel Suarez car. Okay. Shut down Lower Broadway in Nashville. Now, I never had Daniel Suarez shutting down Lower Broadway in Nashville on my bingo card. There he was, reporter after reporter after reporter doing one-on-one -on -one interviews. It's an iconic car. It's Tootsie's Orchid Lounge. You take that dynamic owner of Justin Marks thinking out of the box, coming up with creative ideas like this, good performance on the racetrack, a great guy in Daniel Suarez, uh, just, a, just a phenomenal person. And, and you get those new fans. And watching Daniel Suarez 
meet new fans. And, and you know, you're in the middle of the afternoon, lower Broadway in Nashville. There's all kinds of young people out there partying and carrying on. And Daniel's taking pictures with them. And they're having that moment. So I think I, I think that car gave Trackhouse, I, I, think, I, I think Trackhouse had this idea, but I think their performance that allowed them to accelerate that a little bit. And I think that's what the car did in some instances. I think, uh, I'll tell you, when you look at, you look at uh, the, the uh, there's three teams that stand out to me that are the smaller teams, Petty GMS. I mean, you know, I, I'm wondering what that's going to look like next year when, you know, you have Eric Jones go win the Southern 500 and then you watch, especially the way him and Noah Gregson won the, won, run the super speedways. You know, I mean, and then you throw in some guy named Jimmy Johnson just decides he wants to go race with him and, and, and own the team. I just think that this thing has opened up a new platform for so many people. I think I think what Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan at 2311 have done. I think it's been phenomenal. And then and, and then the other team, I, I, I've said this a couple of times on Crew Call, okay? If it wasn't for Trackhouse and it wasn't for Petty GMS, we would be raving about the improvement at Front Row Motorsports. Michael McDowell. We would be losing our minds about how good Michael McDowell has become, but because of Petty TMS and because of Trackhouse, uh, you know, we, we had that. And I think that's what the car did is it gave us some new players, some new faces, some new owners, some new drivers. Obviously, Ross Chastain took the sport by storm. Depends on which storm you uh, which, which driver you cheer for is which storm, which, which storm he, he, he brought ashore. But um, I just think that um, I just think that it opened up so many, so many new uh, players in the game, and 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 Brian, you're with you're you're with one of the old you're with one of the old guard teams. You're with one of the the teams, and and you know I, I don't need to get into any of your guys' business or anything like that. But it's but it's it, it's obviously caused everybody to change the way they're doing things, and I don't know necessarily that that's a bad thing. Yeah, it's quite an interesting thing for sure, especially when we look at you. You mentioned some teams, especially, and this is the second week in a row where we've heard a conversation about Michael McDowell. You know, McDowell was so good uh, on the uh, road courses and he was competitive throughout the year. That's a guy that could definitely get back to victory lane. But like you said, Trackhouse, Trackhouse and their culture and what Justin Marks has been doing, I think last year in 2022 actually served car or two car team maybe a little bit better than a four car team almost because there were so many parts and pieces kind of going from one one team to the next making sure everything's good when these two car teams are like just worrying about each other especially that operation where they're sharing you feels like they're sharing a lot more notes at least uh what is perceived uh, yeah. but yeah no definitely that's that's definitely interesting maybe am i right about that brian maybe the four car versus the two car yeah i mean there's a lot of challenges uh that we didn't have with the the old car that we do with the new car having a four car team. So uh, maybe a little different, I think, you know, other than echoing what both of you guys said about 2022. Um, yeah, it's definitely was a change in culture for, for the teams, for NASCAR, uh, probably the biggest change we've almost ever seen in one single time. So, you know, again, other than repeating the things you guys said, you know, one of the things that I, you know, felt and saw the most was how much this situation challenged NASCAR, the teams, the drivers, and, and the relationship between all those three. Mm -hmm. um, probably one of the hardest years when it comes to that particular aspect of the sport. Um, you know, a lot of issues caused by the teams, a lot of issues maybe um, in the design of the, the car. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, maybe it took some yelling, some screaming, some, some 
you know, some interesting conversations behind closed doors, but we all came together and, and we fought through it. Um, and that's one thing I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to in 2023 is all of the great upgrades, all of the great changes that are coming through the pipeline into this new car, into this new platform um, where we can probably and hopefully concentrate more on the on-track product than maybe some issues again, caused by, by parties of all, all three. Um, but yeah, again, I'm really excited for 2023. Um, really excited about how everybody came together in 2022 to make sure that the future of the sports in, in better hands and, and in better situation. That Yeah. Brian, when you said something, you said something that cracked me up because I'm with you. I thought this was the biggest change in the history of NASCAR. Uh, we do crew call, uh, Todd Gordon and I do on MRN and we had Mike Beam on. So Todd and, and Mike Beam has been around, you know, Mike Beam has been around forever. And the fact that he is the president of one of these young upstart teams and is pulling this team in this direction just speaks well of Mike and who he is. And he's just a fascinating guy. And so Todd said, Mike, you know, you've been around, you go back, you're for, you were first crew chief for, for, for Richard and Kyle Petty back at Petty Enterprises, you know, back in the day. So how big of a change was this? Is this the biggest change in NASCAR? I said, oh, this is, this is certainly not the biggest change in NASCAR. He said, and I don't remember the, I don't remember the details, but when NASCAR went to a smaller car, one year back in the 80s 70s they went to a smaller car and he said we go to daytona to test and we're sawing off springs and sending the car back out we're 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 the the, the fenders are flying off in the race cars we don't he said we did this change with all kinds of engineering support and suppliers he said back then we just did it on the fly and we started off with daytona and he said we literally uh, literally were, were, like he said, he said, we literally are cutting off springs in the garage and sending Kyle Petty back out to see if he tears down the wall or if the car goes around the racetrack. So he was, he was rather funny about it. I, I'm with you. I think there was a huge change with it. But whenever someone says the biggest change in NASCAR, I recall that conversation with Mike because, and when you think about it, with no engineering support, what those guys did during that offseason, <laughs> that's, that's pretty impressive. And, and to, to his point, I mean, to, for this whole new platform, uh, working with the teams, the vendors, NASCAR, to un, you know, kind of roll this car out in, in preseason testing last year, um, it, it really, when you, when you step back and look at the car and how many vendors were involved and the amount of people, it was incredible that everybody was able to come together and, and this car was able to work and, and roll and race and, and put on a great show from pretty much day one. Um, so again, to your point, uh, the amount of work that went into this car in a very short period of time was incredible. And, and for the most part, you know, I, I saw a lot more issues that were possibly going to happen and I was wrong. They had a lot of things figured out that, um, you know, that, that, that we didn't have to worry about for sure. So, um, kudos to everybody that was involved in that initial, uh, design process as well. Yeah. And then you, you, the, the, the downside of it was, was the driver concern with the concussions and the head injuries and, and their, their perception. And, and actually I think Steve O'Donnell acknowledged that maybe NASCAR didn't do as good a job communicating. And uh, we had the media availabilities at Talladega this fall. Holy cow. I mean, you know, Chase Elliott comes in just throwing bombs and then Harvick is just laying everybody out leadership, this and that and everything like that. I mean, it was, it was and you're sitting there going, well, Gosh, I thought it was a pretty good year. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, and 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 when you realize that, you know, Alex Bowman and, 
and, and, and Kurt Busch are both busted up, you're like, well, that's not acceptable. We all understand that. And so to your point, and Brian, I think you talked about it a little bit ago, you know, even even among those bad periods of times when there was a lot of screaming and hollering and hand-wringing going on, uh, somebody got with the right somebody behind closed doors, in front of closed doors, and all of a sudden you went from Talladega where this thing is blowing up right in front of us to about two weeks later, uh, we did this test, we did that. And I know a lot of those tests were scheduled before the Talladega thing. They weren't reaction. There was a lot of it that was that was proactive. They didn't do a good job. NASCAR apparently didn't do a good job communicating with everybody. But the bottom line of it is, is we went from, from Talladega where it was like, gosh, I, I misread what a great year this was. Uh, to a couple weeks later, it's like, I, I think we're going to be all right. I think we're going to be all right. And so kudos to everybody involved on all sides for, for, for sorting it out and, 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 you know, taking, taking what was a black eye, uh, in the sport, taking it and, 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 and creating, creating some solutions and some progress on, on, on an issue with that car. I know there's one thing I've been saying is for a guy like Jimmy Johnson to come back into the sport after these safety issues occurred in 2022, there must be something that was worked out, gives him confidence. I'm going to go step into this car in 23, you know, help Petty GMS, but enter this car, help this team, help the sport uh, kind of grow. So as we get into 2023, is there a driver in your mind that is that you're watching closely? You named a couple teams, but is there somebody that you're like, hey, watch out for that driver? He could be a surprise. There are a few drivers going, new teams, new faces, kind of a thing. But what's a who's who's a driver in NASCAR that comes to mind for you, Postman? That you're like, watch out for this well, guy in 23. Yeah, I'm gonna. I think we're all gonna be fascinated to see what Kyle Busch does over at Childress. I think that that's gonna be fascinating. And and similarly, I think we're all gonna be fascinated to see what Tyler Reddick does over at 2311. I think that those. Those are the two moves. Um, I just, I am a, um, I, I, I am a. Uh, obviously, Kyle Busch is a, a future Hall of Famer, and 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 maybe has a wouldn't shock anybody if he wins another championship, wins a bunch of races. You know, I mean, I think he's that good. He's Kyle Busch. I mean, he is he is part of that handful of guys that are that good. Um, I just, I have thought over the last couple of years that Tyler Reddick uh, was a guy that um, that hang on if, if if we ever see this guy's potential it's going to be kyle bush like as well um he is just uber talented i had i had an xfinity series driver from up at childress a couple of years ago talk about the xfinity program and i said what's your big concerns going next year and he said my big concern going next year is tyler reddick's going cup because he's that good in developing this xfinity race car that we're going to miss having tyler reddick in the xfinity series and I was like, he's that good. And, the, and, and I forget which one one. He says, he's that good. He is that guy that you want to build your program around. And so kudos to Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan. They were able to lure him away in the uh, in the darkness of night, apparently, and uh, pop into a pop into a Toyota Zoom call and surprise everybody. Um, so I think those are the two new ones, new combinations. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch the, the the track house guys. I think where does Ross settle in? Is it is it fighting with Denny, fighting with Chase all the time, Ross, or is it somewhere? He 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 found a pretty good niche over the the the, the last part of the season where he comes in. And I've just been his, historically for the last five or six years very high on Daniel Suarez. And I think Daniel Suarez is a guy because I think Daniel Suarez is the guy that could 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 knock out a whole bunch of top fives, top tens, could knock out a few wins along the way, get his fair share. So I find that duo. And then the other guys that I'm really going to watch 
are are uh, Martin Truex and Kevin Harvick. Um, I just they're too good to have years like they had this past year. I mean, they'll figure it out and their and their respective teams will figure it out. You know, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's on the driver and, and Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr. are championship caliber drivers. And, and I'll put them in the same category with Kyle Busch. We get down to the end of the year and go to Phoenix to have Harvick and Truex alive in that final four. Wouldn't shock anybody. Yeah, you know, so to me, it's going to be fascinating to see. And I don't even say bounce back because I don't. I, the Truex maybe bounce back. I don't. Yeah, Kevin Kevin's year was just weird uh, from that perspective. But I look forward to seeing what those two do because I just think that there is too much talent, uh, too much drive. Um, I, you know, I, I don't get the vibe with Martin and James as much as I do with Kevin and Rodney. Uh, Kevin and Rodney, Kevin and Rodney are going to be just fine, I think, um, because I, I think they just they 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 want it for themselves, they want it for each other, they want it for the company, and I just think that the, I think those veteran guys, Truex and Harvick, are going to be a couple I keep an eye on as well. So then, kind of with the same line of thinking, then, and don't use anybody in NASCAR, Xfinity, or Cup, but who's a driver? Because we believe in talking about all forms of motorsports. We've done that tonight, and you highlight the short short track arena better than anybody so who's somebody up and coming and it can be any it can be dirt asphalt whatever it is that you want to kind of highlight hey watch out for this driver because it might make somebody that's listening to the show go and say hey that series is coming to my town steve talked about him i want to go check him out so who's somebody that kind of comes to mind like watch out for this driver we got a kid running millbridge by the name of brent cruz man oh man i am telling you what I think that kid maybe has more talent in his pinky than Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell have in their whole body. I mean, they, this this kid is this kid is so good. He's out at Tulsa. He's uh, running the Tulsa Shootout. Uh, he's 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 out there racing now. The 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 thing that I, I think he's uber talented. I think and and the thing that I'm the thing that I'm learning. I'm watching him race. He he when he started off three or two years ago. If he couldn't bang the boards at Millbridge, he was a he was a good car, not a great car. He is learning, you know, running the bottom, running the middle, floating the car in. He's learning those skills of a championship caliber driver, uh, where maybe it's not his preferred method of racing, but he's learning those skills. Um, they've, they've done a really nice job surrounding him with good people. He's tied in with Kevin Harvick, uh, KHI. So I think he's getting great counsel, great leadership there. Uh, they've, um, they've tied him in. He's doing some Trans Am races, some, uh, some of the TA2 races with, with uh, my buddy Nitro Nick. And that's a great resource for him. So I think that if I had to pick one young racer right now, and, and there's not one young racer right now, there are hundreds of young racers right now that are so capable and so good. But if I had to pick one right now, not only because of his skill set, but because of who he's surrounding himself with, how he's aligned, where he's fitting into the, the Rubik's Cube of, of success in racing, uh, my pick would be Brent Cruz. So speaking of that, this weekend is one of the biggest races in the dirt track racing scene, the Tulsa Shootout. Um, that's one thing I don't know much about, so... For, for our listeners and myself, can you give us a little preview? I know, uh, you know, heat started last night. Um, the race is Saturday night. It'll be on flow. Uh, what, what are we looking for? I love racing. Um, I love, obviously, I love them. Um, 
the closest shootout to me is is like more than we can say grace over right now. Um, there are five divisions of various micro sprints and junior sprints. There's five divisions of cars out there. And I think I saw there's 1,600, 1,700 cars. So consequently, this is where they all come together. Uh, they start, it started last night and they run about 872 heat races um, that counts points to set up about 227 qualifier races that further adds to your point total, which sets up B mains and C mains and D mains. I love the concept of the Tulsa shootout and Saturday night, I will likely tune in to the finals. I cannot handle 312 heat races and, but yeah. that's what it is. And that's a, that's a, it's, it's a, it's, the, the, I have friends that are out there and they will arrive at 7 a.m. and sit on those bleachers all day long and love every minute of it. Guys, I went to 160 races this year. I love it all, but I ain't doing a 17-hour shift on a plank. Um, <laughs> you know, true. I mean, it's just, it's, it's what it is. But it's, it's a phenomenal event. And, but ultimately, when it shakes down on Saturday night, you will have some of the best young talent on the planet mixing it up on their biggest stage. And we're going to see who see. And, 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 and there's a lot of regional pride. You know, there's there's a couple guys from Pennsylvania. Kyle Spence, uh, actually, I think he's from Maryland. Uh, or, or Stephen Snyder, one of them is from Maryland up there, and one of them is from Pennsylvania. Um, they represent the Keystone State well. We're really anxious here in the Carolinas to see how our kids do. You know, there's always a Midwestern kid that's going to do good. And California just comes with about 700 kids that are all uber talented and that's what the Tulsa shootout is it's just phenomenal event uh a, a, a tremendous event um it, it's not I, i've been working on my research track bucket list it's not on my bucket list though I, I unless i could just like fly in on saturday afternoon and see the finales i think that'd be great but uh but it is if you like if you could sit at a racetrack all day long the Tulsa shootout in december is where you need to be it's phenomenal stuff I was just about to say, you're at 160 races. Saturday is the 31st. We need 161. That would be perfect for you. I'm sticking with an even number. If I'm not going to an enduro, <laughs> if, if I'm not doing an enduro over in Harris and sleeping in all my, my own bed that night, uh, I'm not flying. Uh, I, I, okay, I'll say this. Okay, this is now, now my weird ways because I collect racetracks. I like to go to different racetracks. I've been to Tulsa. I've been out there. Um but uh, now Fort Wayne, Indiana has a major race on Saturday night, and I've never been there. So that one actually, I'm like, huh, I wonder about that. And I just said, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to stick to the nice round 160, and uh, Fort Wayne will wait. I'll get there some other time. Um, and, um, I'm, uh, and then and New, and it's New Year's Eve, and mm-hmm. uh, I am, uh, am dog dead on New Year's Eve. I am the responsible one around here that says I'll stay home and uh, protect the dogs from the fireworks. And uh, I'll do that and be embedded about 1220 or as soon as the fireworks lays down and, and, and be in good shape. And then actually, Brian, um, uh, Sunday is a, a while it's a national holiday with, um, with being New Year's Day, to me, Sunday is Metapalooza. Um, where I will fire up the smoker and I've got two butts, ribs, some kielbasa, some chicken quarters, and I am, I'll start off with some Bloody Marys in the morning. And if the phone doesn't ring, it's me on Sunday because it is Metapalooza around here. And so uh, no Tulsa shootout, no Fort Wayne, no Harris, 
I'm going to be getting ready for me to Palooza and uh, going to bed early with the dogs on Saturday night. So that's that's my game plan. I like it. I like it. Make sure you post some pictures of what what you cook so we can all be jealous. I'll do that. I'll do that. I need to step in there. I'm 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 like I'm. I frustrate myself with this because I see, and, and Brian, you guys, all you guys have all of these these wonderful pellet grills, and I just think it's spectacular. And I think about it, and I'm using real wood in a burn barrel. And the good news is, is it's, we're not going to deal with the heat. Two or three years ago, it was like 20 to 25 degrees and windy, and I swore I was like. If I hadn't been drinking Bloody Marys and mimosas that morning, I'd have gotten in the car and gone to Lowe's and bought a brand new Traeger grill to fight fight that wind. So I kind of go a little old school with it, um, but I but I love it. The, the the philosophy on that day is this is my philosophy on that day is I do that twice three times a year. Just just sit and smoke stuff. I'm I'm, I'm using a damn racetrack, um, but I do that like. And my, my philosophy on that is, is I'm going to do it on January 1st. That way it guarantees me one great day in 2023. So I'll have a good day on 2023. I like it. That's a good way to start the year. Uh, and before we let you go, we have a couple of things left. But And that actually is a good segue as we're talking about Mitapalooza. Uh, talk to me quickly about uh, Simply Better Living or Simply Living Better. I'm sorry. Simply Better Living. Yeah. Um, I just um, I'm blessed. I am blessed. I was the little kid uh, in Halstead, Pennsylvania, that would run matchbox cars around the kitchen table and announce the races. Okay. That was me as a kid. And I'm still kind of doing the same thing now um, as, a, as, as a 58 year old. So I'm very, very blessed with my career and what it has allowed me to do. I'm a, a father of two amazing young ladies, um, you know, 20. Uh, 21 and 24 years old and I'm amazingly blessed there as well and I'm just blessed kind of with a pretty good positive attitude all the time I generally I have three or four bad days a year and I, I try to minimize those and, and, and move on and so as as life has kind of evolved you know people are like you should share what you're doing you should you should share a little bit of it and and I've come up with this you know and this is a great weekend to talk about it because everyone does I'm going to I'm going to quit smoking I'm going to quit drinking I'm going to lose 175 pounds and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that for our New Year's resolution and I kind of believe that um, you know just start with something small uh, you know drink 64 ounces of water a day that's simple it's better and you create these little habits and that's what I've done in these habits whether they're health and fitness and I've had this journey with health and fitness that. Not if you if you told me about it four years ago, I'd called you crazy. Um, but but it's beyond that. It's 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 work. It's it's work projects. It's family time. It's household. It's everything else. And so I'm just an advocate of you know finding a finding a little thing every every day or every week. Try to find a little thing, make it a habit, and make your life better, and uh, you make your life simply better over the course of time. So I, I kind of do that. I'm I'm going to probably do a little bit more YouTube videos this year with some stuff. I've been gathering some quotes and gathering some thoughts, and it's just been kind of simmering over. Over there a little bit. I'm probably going to do a little bit more with it uh, once we get to 2023. After I after I clear me to Palooza, uh, then uh, then we'll uh, then we'll probably get into that. 
I like it. I'm, I'm glad that you spoke about that. And definitely it's, it's one of those times of years where we get, like you said, where people are starting to project, Hey, I want to do this and that. So living a positive life and being positive within the community is uh, what it's all about. And speaking of community, one thing that Brian and I like to do is we like to reach out to the community and ask if anybody has any questions. I got two specific for you, then we'll let you go. But uh, Skybox NASCAR, he, uh, he asked which sport or which short track, puts the best racing together can be dirt or pavement in your opinion i will go um i'll go one of each oh boy that's a tough question because i'm gonna hack off a bunch of friends um oh it's my fault yeah no it's all good (laughs) i am i am a huge bullring fan i like smaller is better small i like i like little racetracks so when i think of asphalt i I mentioned it earlier in the show wake county speedway and uh wake county here in North Carolina on the asphalt side, um, maybe Hickory, but Wake County. I'll go with Wake County because it's smaller than Hickory, but Hickory puts on good shows, really, really good. I love an old worn-out asphalt track. Dirt track has been weird for me um, because I am a I am a bull ring guy, so give me Houston's up in South Dakota. I love it. But in the sprint car world, we've got some of those darned old big half miles that race really, really well, uh, Knoxville and Port Royal. Um, they race, they race like, they, they race like short tracks. They're, they're just, I don't know what the, what the crews do. I mean, I know that in, 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 in both cases, the Duncan family out in Knoxville and Steve Steinley up in uh, Port Royal, the track prep guy, uh, it's religion to them. Uh, no, it's more important to, than religion to them. And they really have good racetracks. Those are big half mile tracks. But, uh, if I'm going to pick a short track, uh, give me Houston, South Dakota, um, and ironically, Houston's and Wake County were three of my podium races. Maybe that's maybe I'm a little jaded just because of what I saw in my most recent visits to them. But I would say those two would be if I had to if you had, if you had to pick me to two. There, there's where I'm going. I like it. Well, Port Royal, uh, I'm down in Lancaster, so and I try okay. to get up to Port Royal whenever I can. It is definitely it's like a super speedway, uh, short track. It's it's got everything. So I love that track. I love what they do up there. So I have to get up and uh, see you up there for that. The yeah. final question then came in from uh, at Rory Picks, and he said, uh, "Of all the drivers you get to interview, who's the most enjoyable to interview?" Oh, now you're gonna hurt more people's feelings. I know. Yeah. No, I um. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll state this, because there's a lot of times people will twist that question to, how's Kyle Busch, you know, or how's Tony Stewart back in the day? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll qualify that by saying I've never had a problem with anybody. Now, granted, um, MRN has been around forever, you know, long before I was here, and we have a pretty good reputation. Uh, we're not necessarily interested in the muck and the mire. Uh, we're interested in how's your race car? uh what you know what 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 were you working on so we keep it racing wise so we haven't had really many problems or anything like that now uh, that being said um and i almost i almost want to qualify this by saying setting matters as well um talking to christopher bell at the chili bowl is so engaging he's just like he's like a kid out there at that chili bowl. So I love chatting with Christopher, like at the chili bowl in the NASCAR garage. He's, he's, he's good. He's fine. But out there at the chili bowl, um, love chatting with Chase Briscoe. I just think he's a fascinating guy. I've gotten to know him and, and his dad just a little bit. I think, think he's a, a, a really cool guy. Um, really enjoy talking to him. Um, trying to think, um, I think the chase. I think the uh, Chris Bell is a, a perfect answer. 
Yeah, I think that was great. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. I think part of it is when you catch a racer at his passion point, and it's not. It's 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 not in victory lane. I mean, yeah, obviously victory lane is where they aspire to be. And I was fortunate that Christopher Bell, when he won his first race, I did victory lane down in mm-hmm. Daytona on the road course, and that was a special moment. Um, but it's but it's where where you know you know when the guy lights up when you ask a question. That's what it is, and that's what it was with Christopher. That's what it was when I first walked in. We did a we did a pre a, a pre uh, pre event show in the studio at MRN, and uh, I said, "Yeah, I'm new to Chili Boy." He says, "You've never been to Chili Boy." I said, "Dude, I can't believe you've never been to Chili Boy." This was four or five years ago, and then when I got there, he just like, "No, come on, follow me," and just he took me into the trailer and just just phenomenal, just phenomenal stuff. And so I think that's part of it is when you're, when you're talking, I, I think all of these guys have those buttons and, and, you know, you, you, you hit the right time with them. You know, it's not when they're in the middle of qualifying, you know, it's when they have the time. I think you, I think you can have some really, really neat visits with visits with these people. Favorite interview ever. Um, favorite interview that I have specific interview was um, Daytona 500, Michael McDowell winning that. Um, with uh, MRN, uh, Winston Kelly had retired the year previous, and Winston always did our victory lanes. And so that uh, process of elimination promoted me to the lead pit reporter uh, with MRN uh, back in, what was that, uh, 21 last year. And so my very first race, and I'd done some victory lane because Winston ran a part-time schedule, but my very first race in as the lead pit reporter was the Daytona 500 and Michael McDowell won the race, which was pretty cool. What made it even more is that um, in the past, um, Michael is a is a man of strong faith, um, and he's rather open about it. Not, he's not walking around the pit area clubbing people with a Bible, but you know, if you if you if you had a if you had a question, uh, if you were a faith based individual and had a question, Michael would be a great resource and a great guy. Um, I am a person of faith as well. Um, and I, I, I tend to lead it a little more private than Michael does. And, and, and that's my decision. But at one time, Michael and I, we did a tour for motor racing outreach where we would go out to churches and I would MC, you know, and field questions. And then Michael would share his testimony and give the invitation and, you know, people would come downstairs and down, down front and get salvation and um, getting to spend time behind the scenes with Michael. I learned how authentic he was. Um, Faith is a fascinating topic these days, and certainly one that you know I don't like to like to delve into the specifics of it. Um, and and you always wonder about authenticity of individuals. Um, I'm real confident in Michael McDowell's authenticity. Um, spending time with him, uh, spending time um, you know one on one with him prior to it, getting uh, getting our minds geared together on the same page and everything. He just he. He's the real deal, and, and and my belief is he's the real deal with his faith. And so it was fascinating because it was 2021, the Daytona 500, and this was when we still weren't doing victory lanes. We were stopping the cars out on the front stretch. And Michael just won the Daytona 500. There's a TV reporter, a TV cameraman, a boom operator, and Steve Post on the front stretch. That's 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 the greeting crew. You know, we're not we're not in victory lane screaming and hollering and doing champagne. That's the greeting crew. He does the television interview. The TV crew jumps in the pickup truck. He looks at me, extends his arm. And I got a bear hug for the ages from Michael McDowell. And I just was I, I was just it, it meant a lot 
I knew what it meant to him. Uh, it meant a lot to me and our past kind of set that situation up. And I was his surrogate family, his surrogate crew, his surrogate everything that day. Uh, MRN threw it down. We did a perfectly normal, good interview like we like we always do. And then uh, we got done and, and embraced again. And then he went and did more burnouts and everything else. So that is one that will stand out forever uh, because of the, the behind-the-scenes connection that I had with Michael and then just kind of, you know, kind of the way that unfolded. And, and the setting when when – they did a victory lane shot where you had to all be six feet apart from each other, you know? And so it was, uh, it was, it was a neat moment. That's for sure. Wow. That's an unbelievable story. Cause it really does showcase the behind the scenes, because when you're watching on TV, you only see one element of it, but there's so much more that goes on. And especially like you're saying those, that connection that you have prior to those moments. And then just as brothers being able to kind of share that together, that's really, that's yeah. really cool. Uh, so uh, as we let you go, uh, what's the best way for the people that are listening uh, via the replay here, how can they best support you on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? Have fun. Enjoy yeah. the racing. It's just it's, stop being negative. I mean, my gosh. Oh, it's like I, I, one of my Twitter things is I, – and I, I posted this one time. My One of my goals is positive vibes on Twitter, uh, to which Dale Earnhardt Jr. replied, good luck with that. You know, I mean, it was just like – which, uh, you know, gained me probably a thousand viewers. So, I mean, your followers. So, I mean, I'll, I'll take it, you know, um, just, just, uh, I'm at the postman 68. My website is postman 68. And that has a blog that has all of the races that I've done. And I'm probably going to, I'm, I'm going to continue. I'm not doing 160 races next year. I'm looking for more bigger bucket list races. Uh, I'm going to do more blogging over there and more stuff. And so that, and then, uh, and I'll see the postman 68 will be kind of the clearinghouse for all of that. And I'll see what I end up doing as far simply better with my youtube videos but postman 68 um the postman 68 is a is my page or my group on facebook and i think i'm steve post 68 on uh, instagram i'm having fun with instagram i'm new to it newer to it i really am enjoying it the 68 by the way is uh when i was a little kid my favorite race car driver was a guy named pete cordez uh from sydney center new york and his number was 68 and i have 68 in it to always remember that passion i had as a kid sitting in the stands at five mile point speedway cheering for pete cordez and that every driver that i have ever interviewed and ever talked to have somebody that they somebody that looks up to them like I did at Pete Cordes. So I keep that 68 in the forefront. So postman 68 would be the best way to do that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time postman, Brian. I don't have, know if you have anything to add, but uh, thank you again for your time. Yeah. I just wanted to remind everyone. We also have the 45th edition of the Dakar rally opening round of the world rally raid championship kicking off this weekend. Uh, this year's contest will start January 1st run through the 15th and require teams to complete a 5,000 mile trip across uh, Saudi Arabian desert uh, broadcasts are on Peacock's NBC channel at 6 30 PM Eastern standard time every night. Uh, Postman, this has been just an absolute pleasure. Uh, I, I always love talking to you. You're so positive. You're so informative. Um, just an incredible boost for, you know, for everybody heading into the new year. So thanks again for your time. Thanks again for coming on and, and hopefully we can do it again sometime in the near future. Yeah, guys, I love what we're doing. I am a, uh, I don't own a television. I don't own a TV. So I'm a audio guy. I love radio. Uh, and I love podcasting. And so and I've listened to a couple of years as you guys have launched this thing. And I just think uh, I love 
uh, long form conversation. Uh, I think, you know, Dale Jr.'s download has just been phenomenal for the sport. Um, and I think that there's there's a lot of other guys and I like what you guys are doing. So real, real pleasure to be on here with you guys and uh, and uh, wishing everybody certainly a happy 2023 as we're wrapping up 2022 here this week. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Postman. Hope I uh, hope you have a good uh, weekend and uh, we'll catch you then in 2023. Word of the day, meet a Palooza, guys. Meet a Palooza. Meet a Palooza. Love it. Thank you. And that will conclude this episode of All Things Go. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and be sure to follow Steve Post on all his available social media accounts as well. For Brian Murphy, I'm Derek Yoder and we'll catch you next time for episode eight.